attributable to human error. Hello and welcome to Fresh Air. I'm Joe. I'm Dave. I'm Chris. And I'm Andy. And tonight we are going to cover off our last consequentialist moral theory. We're going to be covering off welfareism. Now, Dave, can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, welfareism is the idea that the only true moral value is that of well-being. And that covers non-human as well as human well-being. Um, there's different ideas about how best to implement it, like whether it's economic welfareism or emotional welfareism or what have you. But the idea is that the most important thing when it comes to morality is well-being. So you touched on this briefly, but when we're speaking of well-being, I'd say we could break that down into physical well-being, material well-being, emotional well-being, and mental well-being. Is there anything else that we um, need to add in that for the overall well-being picture? I wouldn't think so. So welfareism in general, would it be a combination of all of those things or does it tend to favour one over the other? Well, that's what the arguments are about. It's exactly how best to implement it, um, what exactly it is that well-being entails. Um, it, 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 there's a lot of discussion that goes on within the welfareism field itself. So there is no... I couldn't just say it is this. It's there's still a lot of discussion going on. Um so it personally I think it's a mixture of all of them. It sounds like that's the way it ought to be. Why would anyone favor a particular one over all the others that I'm not sure. Um if you think about something like economics, if we argue that the economical well-being is the most important thing to look after because if somebody is economically well-off and you know they, they have all the money that they need, they can then look after their mental well-being, their physical well-being. Um, in a society like ours, if you don't have the money, then your other forms of well-being can be affected. So how does that apply to, you know, the 1%, those that own 99% of the wealth? Would welfareism deem those people immoral? It depends on how they're using their money. Fair. So if they were using their money to increase others' well-being, that would be acceptable. But where if they're just hoarding it because they want to be billionaires, then it's a selfish act. I'm not sure hoarding it would even be considered immoral because they're not actually causing any harm by hoarding it. Not direct. No, not, though. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. Yeah, they might not be directly causing any harm, but are they indirectly causing harm by not actually putting that money back into the economy? They're holding it all to themselves where they could be helping out small businesses and things like that. Okay, that's a different thing, though. If they're paying their taxes and they're contributing to society, you can still hoard money um, and still pay your fair share, so to speak. Yeah, that then becomes more of a problem of how governments attribute taxes and how they spend the taxes that they get. Exactly. It's um, simply holding on to your money isn't necessarily moral or immoral. It's the actions you take using your money. 
Um, but again, they could be putting it to better use. Obviously, they could be giving it to charity. They could be creating social welfare programs and doing scholarships. All those would be contributing to other people's economical well-being and therefore would be considered moral under a welfareism kind of view. Does it also benefit to have a greater spread of the welfare, as in uh, uh, the needs of the many versus the needs of the few within welfareism? I'm not really sure, to be honest. You just stole my fucking line. He did. He's a thieving bastard. <laughs> Communist. It's not the word I was going to use, but yeah, that would do. <laughs> Definitely a C word. Yeah. That ends with a T. <laughs> but it's Just more airplay. Friendly. Yeah, it's more airplay friendly. <laughs> but yeah, uh, welfareism basically just boils down to your actions should be contributing to the well-being of others, not just human others, but all others that have the ability to feel pain. It's different to utilitarianism, though, which speaks of maximizing well-being rather than just contributing to well-being. And as you mentioned, it doesn't just apply to human well-being. It is also applying to, uh, say, animals, for example. So within the welfareism moral theory, would you potentially be vegetarian or vegan? Probably best to. I mean, it, it, if you're doing factory farming, you're probably not contributing very much to the well-being of the animals that you're using. Yeah, but then is the argument to be made that you, by factory farming, you're able to supplement far more humans than free-range farming? At a cheaper rate, so therefore falls under the economical welfareism. Yeah, but you're still contributing to the harm of the animals, so it becomes a tricky one. The welfare of, of one um, creature uh, shouldn't be at the expense of another. That's one of the ideas within it, yeah. Does it also apply to things like plant life? Or is that taking it to an extreme that's a bit silly? Do plants have emotions and suffer pain? And I mean, they, they sort of have a well-being. If you don't water them, they die. But is that really the same thing as having a... Nerve, central nervous system in a brain well they can respond to pain impulse like they, they they can slowly retract if they feel like they're being eaten but other than that no i would i would say much much less so yeah you do also have uh, animals that don't necessarily have a central nervous system or a brain as well yeah do they have the phenomenological aspect of pain though do they actually have a sense of self-awareness of feeling the pain uh with plants i'd say no uh but andy's point there there are potentially animals that also don't or or at least creatures <laughs> okay but again the question is do they have an awareness do they actually feel the pain rather than just respond to something in reflex yeah in regards to the plants no. Uh, in regards to the animals, I think it depends on the particular animal. Well, then that's what you would have to take into account. I was just going to say, it's a tough one because you can't necessarily prove that certain animals can feel pain. I suppose you do it by induction, by looking at brain patterns. We can see what parts of the brain light up when humans feel pain. And then 
do fMRIs and the like on animals and see if they respond in a similar way. What about animals without brains, uh, starfish, uh, sea cucumbers and stuff like that? Jellyfish. Then they are likely responding through reflex, like Dave said, as opposed to actually feeling something as such. When you describe something like pain, you're not just speaking of a reaction to a certain stimuli. There's a phenomenological aspect to pain. There, there's something that it's like to be in pain. You have a, a feeling and you respond to that feeling rather than just a reflex. Uh, yeah, yeah, I get that. It's, um, it's just that we can't just say that it's the welfare of all animals. I was just kind of getting at. Yeah, if it doesn't have a central nervous system, then I would argue that it's almost certain that it can't be feeling pain. In the That's another good question. That we're talking about, at least. So I was just saying, there's a, there is another good question. Is can, can vegans eat, eat uh, animals that don't have a central nervous system? One of the things about uh, veganism is consent. So if, if a cow actually had the cognitive ability to say, yes, I don't mind you eating me, then it would actually be okay for a vegan to do so. So that creature, whilst it might not be able to feel pain, still doesn't consent to being eaten, as far as we're aware. Okay, so I I'll bring up the the case where a guy sold his uh, himself on eBay to be eaten. Well, not eBay, but you get the idea. Craigslist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then that's still illegal, isn't it? I I understand that, and I I actually think if someone chooses to do that in the same way that someone chooses to end their own life, they should be allowed to do that. And essentially, that's what that person did. Decided to allow someone to eat him and technically you could say for for a vegan that, that i mean they probably wouldn't but it would be an acceptable what's the word i'm looking for dinner <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's go with that yeah <laughs> several dinners i think not in this house yeah it's the german cannibal you're referring to if i remember right yeah parodied on the it crowd yeah an excellent episode it was too yeah, they don't they just kind of trick him into letting them go around and watch films on his massive TV? Yep, that's right. <laughs> and it yeah, has yeah. the best anti-piracy ad ever. Oh, that is so good. You wouldn't shit in the copper's helmet and then <laughs> give the copper's helmet back to the copper's wife after beheading him, would you? <laughs> uh, I do wish they'd make some more of them. The last one was terrible. Yeah, that was the hour-long one. Yeah, where Jen throws hot coffee over a tramp and Roy kicks a midget. Yeah, I remember that one. It was okay, but it didn't really feel like the IT crowd. Equally, I, I, I felt like the first two seasons where you had the original Brennan was better than when his son took over as well. Yeah, I can. I quite like both in different ways. The fact that he died was great just because it got the funeral episode. Yeah, and him eating the apple for ages. I don't know why that was so funny, but it just really tickled me because it was just pointless. But yeah, still. <laughs> no, the best bit's when they're about to go up to the grieving wife. And he's like to Jen, it's like, I don't know what to say. She says, just say, I'm sorry for your loss and move on. Now move on. I'm sorry for your loss. Move on. And then Moss trying to give her a pen. It's, ah, it's wonderful. So to bring it back on track, um, how, uh, 
I suppose it's it's very similar to how uh, a utilitarian would respond to, say, the trolley problem. It would be you'd you'd quite easily save the five for the one without knowing any more about the situation. You're still harming the well-being of both groups, though. You are harming the well-being of both groups, but aren't we? I know I know the utilitarian is maximizing, but if you're looking at well-being, do we regard well-being of five to well-being as one of one within welfareism? Again, there's different arguments within welfareism itself concerning that. I mean, really, once you start getting into maximizing well-being, you're moving into utilitarianism anyway. Did welfareism come about as a bit of an offshoot to utilitarianism? No, it can sort of be traced right back to, say, virtue ethics with Plato and Aristotle and the like, because that's eudaimonia. Um, eudaimonia is a state of like happiness and good well-being, good health. So it can sort of be traced right back to then. I'm struggling to really understand the difference. So with the welfareism, you're trying to get the most welfare. Is that not the same as maximizing? I don't quite follow. Not necessarily the most welfare. Um, so do you remember when we discussed utilitarianism, I talked about killing the person to stop a riot? I remember it well. I like that one a lot. Well, in welfareism, that would be wrong because it doesn't matter that you're going to increase the happiness of the crowd and stop the riot. You're still going to be harming the welfare of the person that's going to be sacrificed. Which comes back to what I said earlier, saying you can't, it can't be at the expense of uh, another being. Right, yeah. Now, that, that, that is an interesting um, difference. So, obviously, as we discussed, within utilitarianism, you know, the needs of the many definitely outweigh the needs of the few, but within welfareism, um, it's not necessarily that way. But in a situation where there is going to be a damage to well-being regardless, how does welfareism actually deal with that? Or does it just go, well, you know, someone's being harmed, so that's right. Yeah, and um, like following from that and from the riot analogy so would somebody going by the welfareism philosophy be the person in the trolley problem who wouldn't pull the lever not because of any mathematical equation but because doing so makes them an active party it's possible i guess um i mean you would that's a slightly different argument um a slightly different category because you're talking about the philosophy of action then rather than ethical philosophy but then becoming an active party makes it that they're harming somebody's welfare as opposed to not choosing anything by not getting involved though they're still harming at least one person's welfare because they could once they know that they have that choice of action they become and they can alter that course of events. They become responsible for whatever course of events naturally unfolds. Is that not the same for the riot? How do you mean? 
the riot thought experiment that you referred to before it's the same basic principle as the trolley problem. And you said that they wouldn't get involved with the riots one. No, I said it would be immoral for them to kill, to sacrifice the one person to make the rest of them happy because it's not about maximizing well, uh, happiness and well-being. It's about direct interaction. Oh, so they wouldn't do it for the sake of pleasing the crowd, but they might do it if they knew that the crowd were going to be harmed i don't quite follow you consider the other problem that you said where you have to kill one person or 10 people are going to be shot you know shoot this one person or 10 people will be shot that might encourage them to shoot that one person yeah but according to welfareism they would still be committing an immoral act it's just that they would be doing the most pragmatic act Okay, now that's that's a good distinction again. So if we go back to the, the, the trolley problem, then they would probably still switch the tracks to kill the one instead of the five because it is the most pragmatic. However, both actions would be immoral, just one has a better outcome. I do like, I do like that distinction between moral and pragmatic i might use that i say the occasional smart thing but yeah th there is a difference between an act still being immoral but being pragmatic so again if we go to the riot they may kill the one person to stop the thousand people rioting because those thousand people rioting may damage the well-being of a hundred thousand people that's what i was getting at yeah they wouldn't do it to please the crowd, but they might do it because if the crowd aren't pleased, they're going to go off and create more issues. Yeah, and it would still be considered immoral under welfareism because they have still intentionally damaged the well-being of somebody. They are basically just left without much of a choice. What about in a situation where they damage their own well-being for another's benefit with an increased well-being on, say, let, let's call it a balancing act. Um, let's, let's just use a point system just for now. They damage their well-being by three points to benefit another's well-being by six points. Don't know what to say. Like I say, there's, there's a lot of discussion within welfareism itself as to how exactly to apply all this. But the general theory is that well-being is the highest good. In the same way that in hedonism, happiness and pleasure is the highest good or the only good, the only thing of value. In welfareism, the only thing of value is well-being. And the complicated thing being that there's several different types of well-being some of which are kind of mutually exclusive. Yeah, exactly. That's why there's still a lot of discussion that goes on within it. And equally, it's almost impossible to always increase well-being without sacrificing some form of well-being somewhere for someone, even if it's yourself. I'm curious if you know much about it, but could you say that one thing which would fall under welfareism could be the philosophical side of buddhism i don't know enough about buddhism to be able to say yes or no 
but the little I do know, I would say yes. Um, or something like Jainism that that could possibly fall fall under welfareism because they're most concerned with making sure that they don't have a negative impact on other people's existence. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a great deal about Buddhism and going by you saying about um, mental welfare and emotional welfare, well, you could combine those in some kind of sparkly language and call that spiritual welfare, which is kind of the point of Buddhism as far as I understand it. Yeah, I think it depends on the form of Buddhism, but like I say, I, I don't know it well enough to be able to answer with any kind of certainty. Fair. Maybe one of our listeners can enlighten us in the group. And if they do want to do so and come back to us, we will address it in our summary episode where we look back on all of the moral theories that we've gone over within this massive episode with many chapters. David, do you think there's anything else we we really need to know about this? No, not really, except go out and look it up on the Stanford Encyclopedia if you're interested, because that gives a good breakdown and has a lot of good references, and it will lead you into all the different discussions that go on within welfareism itself. Awesome. I think that's it for tonight, then. It's uh, welfareism is very much libertarianism, except instead of maximizing pleasure we're talking about well-being and it's quite a a nuanced topic as well Uh, as dave says make sure you check it out on the stanford encyclopedia of philosophy and we will post a link to that with this episode so if you go to answersandreason.com and have a look it should be there at the bottom of this thank you guys for tonight thank you dave for taking us through that and uh you've been listening to fresh air i'm joe i'm dave i'm chris and i'm andy good night all good night sweet dreams craig leave